Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 224 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined once again this week by the former heavyweight world title challenger, the man himself, Mr. Eddie Chambers. Eddie, welcome back on the show. Thanks once again for being with me. Three weeks in a row, baby. Yeah, man, we got a we got a good streak going. Maybe it's gonna be four. Who knows? <laughs> Thank you. But um, getting on to part one, getting on to the review part, we're gonna start here at the hangar in Costa Mesa, California, USA. This one took place last Thursday, the twenty third of Jan. Um, Jason Quigley topped the bill. It was a Golden Boy promotion show. He's now eighteen and one. It was a KO for him inside three rounds against Fernando Marin, a late replacement, actually. Marin. Um, I can't remember exactly what happened with the original opponent for Quigley, but this guy stepped in with like about 48 hours notice, something like that, maybe, maybe even less than that. So, uh, yeah, couldn't really expect much of him. Now 16-5 and five with three draws, a KO there in three rounds, like I say, for Quigley. Friend of the show, Quigley, like to, uh, I'd like to wish him all the best really going forward. Obviously, he suffered that that shock loss, and um, you know he's on the comeback trail. Moving out now, though, to the convention center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. Caleb Truax topped the bill over here. Now thirty-one and four with two draws. Friend of the show, former world champion. A majority decision though over ten rounds against a guy called David um, Basajami Vuli or something like that. Very strange name. I remember saying it on last week's show, um, and you know I thought. I've never heard of this guy. It's going to be an easy fight for Caleb, surely. And what's really the point in it? But when I actually looked at his opponent here, um, he was a lot better than his record suggests. I think he'd he'd had a couple of um, you know fairly decent names on his resume. I think he'd lost to the guys, but I think he'd given you know a good account in those fights. So I actually sat back and thought, you know, this this could actually be a good fight. Um, Caleb Truax. Um, like I say, managed to get the majority decision win. So one judge had it a draw, and of course the other two judges had it in favour of Truax. The the thing that seemed to let his opponent Basajama I can't I can't even try and pronounce that again. But anyway, he lost two points for hitting Caleb Truax in the back of the head. So those those two points there could have could have really cost him. You know, it, it sounded like a close ish fight. I'm not quite sure if it was televised. I don't. I, I didn't see it. I don't think you saw it either, Eddie. But moving on now, though, to the big one no. at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, USA. Let's start with the undercard. Um, Lorenzo Simpson, I don't think it was televised. A very good prospect, very good amateur he was. He's now 7-0. and A unanimous decision over six rounds for him against Antonio Hernandez. Now 2-11 and with a draw. Um, Jarrett Hurd, he came back. 
Um, he took on Francisco Santana. Very tough guy, Santana. Um, he, you know, he proved it here. Mm. Twenty-five and eight with a draw. Now his record. But Jarrett Hurd, twenty-four and one, back to winning ways. He had his man down in the tenth round, but like I say, couldn't get him out of there. Um, Jarrett Hurd tried to show us something different there, Eddie. He tried to box. Um, ultimately, though, it just doesn't really suit his style. I guess you know he 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 is good at yeah. at the brawling, and um, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit like Sean Porter. Sean Porter is a brilliant brawler. When he boxes, he doesn't look yeah. the best, and I think that's the same kind of thing here for Jarrett Hurd. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, um, with Hurd, he can have, he can have an aggressive come forward style, and still be stylish and still be crafty with his with his approach. I think the the wrong thing is to try to become something you're not, you know, being a long range fighter, even though he's a fairly big guy at that weight class. Is, is he's best suited to be similar to like what a Diego, Corral, a Diego Corrales was being a, you know, fairly tall guy, you know, big guy coming forward and being aggressive, but slightly, obviously better def- defensively than, than Corrales was and be to be more, um, Cautious, not say cautious, but more careful in some of your, in some of the, uh, you know, the front foot stuff coming in, coming in hard, the big shots and wide shots coming forward. You know what I mean? I think he needs to be a little, a little bit more careful with it. Maybe a little, you know, maybe use a little uh, more head movement. I like, I see he likes to try to use the shoulder roll uh, defense with his, you know, with his boxing. But the best thing for him would to be. I would I would think probably to just be a little bit more stay stay being aggressive stay closer to the inside even though like when you look at when he fought Julian Julian kind of bested him a little bit on the inside which I think surprised him but even then I still think that's his best shot he has a good punch he's really he can be crafty on the inside and needs to really keep up with that. Yeah, and um, I, I want to just give an honourable mention there to Jarrett Hurd's new trainer. Obviously, he's linked up with this with this new trainer for this fight here. It was their first fight together. Um, one mm-hmm. one thing that I really liked that I saw in in you know those little kind of hype up programs that they show before the fights. I don't know if you saw this, Eddie, mm-hmm. but um, when he linked up, I didn't. Nothing. I missed. Okay, well, I'll tell you what what his new trainer said. I forgot the guy's name. I really wish I. I actually knew it, so I could give him a, a proper mention, but shout out to him. Um, he basically said that when he linked up with Jarrett Hurd, you know, Jarrett Hurd wanted to take mm. the J-Rock rematch, um, you know, immediately, uh. and the trainer said, no, mm. this is not the right fight for us. We've only just met, we've only just linked up, we've only mm-hmm. just started training together, and... Um, mm-hmm. It's not enough time for, 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 you know, for me to be comfortable or um, you know enough time for us to gel together. So if you want that fight, then go look for another right. trainer. And he basically said right. that he 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 did that because you know he's not in this for a quick payday himself. He's in it because he really does right. care about Jarrett Hurd. So that's that's refreshing. You know, a lot of people in this day and age yeah. they just want to chase the money, and um, you can't help but respect that from his new trainer, whose name has um, temporarily evaded me. No, yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? A lot of times you get guys who will sign on with a trainer because they know the the potential of the guy who's who, who's fighting, obviously. Sign on as a trainer with, you know, you see different guys and they change trainers sometimes like they change their underwear. You know what I mean? And and it's because it's not necessarily always the trainer who's the problem. But when you get a guy like him who is coming in, coming in Johnny come lately kind of degree, to a degree, obviously, and he's been hired to obviously help him improve in areas 
how can he do that with one training camp? It's really, really not enough time for things to stick. Even if you are a real class fighter and you are, you know, you're even like a Floyd Mayweather who can adjust almost anything, you still need a little time. You know what I mean? A little uh, to get an understanding. You never know how the fight will be, who and, and how you guys will gel together. So it's going to take some time, and it's good to get an opportunity to see what you would be like with lesser competition, so you can try some of the things that you've been working on as well. For sure. And also on the bill, Stephen Fulton picked up another win. He's still undefeated, eighteen and zero, a unanimous decision there over twelve rounds against Arnold Kagai, relatively unknown opponent, but you know a decent opponent, sixteen and zero himself with a draw unbeaten. That one was for the WBO Intercontinental Super Bantamweight title. I actually missed that fight, Eddie. So um, if you want to say anything about yeah. that fight, then uh, you can. Otherwise, we'll just move on. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been knowing the kid for a while, Scooter, as they used to call him. Now he's cool boy Steph. I didn't know. I didn't know he changed it. <laughs> but now he's older now, so obviously he's getting away from that, you know, the young boy thing. But um, no, nah, but uh, it's good to see him, uh, see him, you know, winning and and doing his thing. I always thought he was a really talented young guy. You know what I mean? He had a, he had ability even back in the day when we were when he was in the shoe, was running around playing and all. You know what I mean? But um. Yeah, man. I, you know, from watching, I seen he made a couple of mistakes every, you know, every now and again. And the guy was tough. The guy wasn't just, uh, you know, run of the mill type of, you know, opponent. Just, you know, just to look for him to look good and, and around his way. No, he actually was, he was actually pretty, 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 pretty solid. You know, what I mean, he made he made some good adjustments. He did some good things. Like even from the early rounds, when like Scooter, well, I keep saying Scooter when when. Uh, I'm saying Stephen Fulton. I just say Fulton when he was moving around and boxing well with a jab, you know, at range. I think the guy made a couple of adjustments, got a little bit more on the front foot and, and a little more aggressive, especially even with counters. And he made him, you know, you know, maybe do some drops prematurely. He got put it. He got put in a situation where I think he dropped on the outside. What I mean by drop is he dropped the level to kind of stop the uh, the action. And the guy kind of froze for a second, got an opportunity to see, you know, as he was down and threw a couple of shots. And, and, I mean, like I said, the kid made some nice adjustments. He did some good things. But at the end of the day, I just think Fulton was a little bit too good for him boxing-wise, a little bit too much speed, you know, well-schooled, knows where to be, nowhere to be in the ring. And, and he did some he did some good things in that fight. And, and he had to actually make an adjustment because, you know, once the kid made his adjustment – of course, you got to counter the counter, and I think he did that pretty well going into the end of the fight and ended up taking the later rounds, and like I said, he did well. And I'm actually proud to see another Philly fighter doing well and, and you know, going to get a title eventually, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, he's um, he's knocking on the door, you'd, you'd expect, in the next in the next few months or whatever. I know he did a lot of sparring, I think it was last year with Carl Frampton, I think... Um, you know, Carl, Carl Frampton mm-hmm. speaks highly of him. And the main event, Danny yeah. Swift Garcia, now thirty six and two. It was it was a fight here, a win here against Ivan Redcatch, now twenty three and five with a draw. Um, you know, on last week's show I expressed it wasn't really the fight that we wanted to see Danny in. I said that actually I kinda of take mm-hmm. it back a little bit because it was supposed to be Spence. It wasn't Garcia's fault about the uh the you know, situation out of outside of the ring. But um <laughs> Mm-hmm. All in all, I mean, all three fights on the bill, they weren't really fights that you um, would say were fantastic fights in terms of the action and stuff, you know, all three of the main fights for me were a little bit boring, I hate to be 
negative. Mm-hmm. But um, Danny Garcia, I mean, everyone expected him to bang Redcatch out of there in a few rounds. I actually thought Redcatch would go the distance because Danny's not really a puncher. And some of Redcatch's, like, you know, his, his stoppage losses, I think, came at the lower weight. So I think 147 is, um, you know, is a weight that he's probably a little bit, you know, more more his his punch resistance I'd say is a bit better at one four seven looking at his track record, especially coming off that win, like we say, last time out against Devin Alexander. But again, wasn't really the guy we'd mm-hmm. like to see Danny Garcia dance with, even with all the circumstances. And we didn't see you know, we didn't see a brilliant performance really. It was a you know, a, a, a how can I say, like a one sided beatdown really from Garcia. I felt like Red Catch's corner could have thrown the towel in numerous times during the, the fight, but um, yeah, it just kind of cruised mm. right up until the the uh, the final round. And Danny won every single round. You know, he won every second of every <laughs> round. But I mean, it didn't really he didn't really tell us anything. You know, Errol Spence, if he was watching that, which I'm sure he was, he's going to probably be licking his lips at that because um, you know, Danny, I don't really see being able to match him at all, especially based on that performance. Errol won't be shaking in his boots about it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well. There's all kind of, there's all kind of little silver linings with a lot of that too. I mean, if you look at the fight and you say, oh well, this guy wasn't this and he wasn't that, and, you know, of course he wasn't, you know, at Earl's level at all. He wasn't even a good matchup if you were planning on fighting him. Now, obviously, a southpaw is a southpaw, and you just want to have that stance in front of him, and whatever Red Cash was going to bring, he was just going going to have an answer for hopefully. <laughs> but the fact that he didn't look as great as people would have thought may make the fight even more appetizing for whoever wants to fight him, which won't be, there won't be any, you know, any issues. There won't be any evading. It'll be an easy straight to the point type situation. No, no drama in in, in setting it up. It'll just be something, you know, bam. And we all know styles make fights. Now, even though Redcast, like I said, wasn't, you know, to Earl Spence's level, he did pose. He did pose some sort of problems. You know, just just little weird things that he was able to do at times that would throw Danny off. And Danny did look good in you know in some of the things that he did. You know what I mean? There were certain sharp counters that I seen that I was not overly impressed with, but I was impressed with some of uh, some of the other things he did. But there was one thing that Raycast did toward the end of the fight that I don't know if anyone picked up on. And I don't know if it was Danny just kind of like being lax and just letting the fight go the distance or. Really, did he, he was he really struggling with this particular thing? It was when Redcast started throwing straight left hands to the body and changing levels and going from throwing a jab upstairs to a straight left hand to the body. And he did it a lot in those last two to three rounds. And it really looked as if Danny didn't really have an answer. Now, I'm not saying he was winning the rounds with it, but it definitely posed a bit of a problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was landing those straight left hands to the body from the outside coming in. And if you look at that and you start saying, well, damn, if somebody really picks that up on tape, if that's something that he made a mistake on, man, you know, you know, if I'm if I'm a backer of Danny, I'm like, yo, we need to work on this in the gym immediately because I don't – any one particular thing, any one particular thing should not shut down – a whole a guy's whole game plan. You understand what I'm saying? And it was from a guy like this who most people say wasn't in his class. So what if it's a guy like Earl Spence that figures something like this out or Matty Pacquiao to figure something like this out? This really can make it a real rough go for Danny. But maybe it was just him coming off the gas. 
I don't know. It just looked a little weird to me at the end for that to be a such a problematic move that uh, the kid put on him. You know what I mean? Especially as Errol Spence loves to go to the body, um, you know. But Red Catch, mm-hmm. so well spotted, Eddie. But yeah, Red Catch is um, is um, you know the, the the fact that he's a southpaw. That's that's really the only thing that was good about the fight, I guess. If if you're a backer of Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. don't know who the commentator was, and I'm not quite sure if you had the same commentator as we did, but it was an American commentator. It wasn't like we had our own UK commentator, even though it was mm-hmm. on Box Nation. But the commentator was 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 really bad. Like he uh, kept criticizing Jared really? Hurd throughout the fight. He he incorrectly said that Shane Mosley was training Ivan Redcatch. Um, which <laughs> yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah. Which um, which I think he did in the past. I mean, you mentioned there about. Um, boxers that 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 change their uh, their trainers like they do their what did you say their underwear right? Yeah, underwear. Yeah, yeah. No Red, Red Catch has done that. I think he's had about eight trainers, but his current trainer, I think it was um, was it Jack Mosley? I think his his trainer was. Yeah, yeah so that's his dad. Yeah, so Shane, yeah, Jack Mosley. So Shane's dad. But yeah, he's been through a real mm-hmm. run of trainers, and he also said this this another mistake from the commentator. He said the Angel Garcia. Danny's dad once upon a time said that he would shave his hair off if, if his son lost to Lucas Matisse. That was wrong. He actually said <laughs> he would cut his head off, not his hair. So uh, <laughs> a few mistakes I picked up. I would hope it would be the hair thing more so than his head. <laughs> he's, oh he's crazy. I mean, that's, he embraces it. That's his Instagram handle, at Crazy Angel Garcia. That is his actual handle. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, leaving that there, we've whizzed through the review part as quick as we could. It's now time to welcome our very first guest before we wrap up part one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBC featherweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Gary, welcome back on the show, my man. Oh man, thanks for having me, greatly appreciate it. It's always a pleasure having you on, Gary. So we last spoke back in May, Um, it was just before the Kiko Martinez fight, I mean that fight, as we know, ended in the fifth round when the doctor stopped the contest and he pulled Martinez out due to a cut. Uh, the fight went exactly the way most people assumed it would go. He wasn't quite on your level. Um, you know, just from your point of view though, if you can, just give me a couple words on that performance there, another win, another knockout win. Um, I prepared myself to the best of my ability. I wish that, but you know, I, I didn't want it to be a Kiko Martinez. You know, I wish that it was a uh, a Leo Santa Cruz or or a Javante Tank Davis or one of these guys that's just, that that really would matter to me. But we couldn't get it, you know. So we had to stay busy. That's just what it was. And your next fight's been announced. It'll be against Tugstock um, Miambia on February the 8th in Pennsylvania. I'm guessing you probably don't know too much about your opponent here, Gary, but what do you know? I mean, I know he's he's a much better fighter than, than a lot of these other guys that's in, uh, supposed to be in the upper echelon. I, I feel he won a uh, 2012 silver medalist. Um, the speaks volumes on his pedigree. Um, I think he's more technically sound than a lot of guys that's in the division right now that's competing. I think he's hungry. He got a little pop, and he's going to bring his best, bring his physical best. A lot of people don't know about this guy, you know, but anyone that has um, six to eight weeks to prepare for no one else but you is always a dangerous person. We never take anyone for granted or underestimate anyone. 
So we stand ourselves to the best of our ability. He's hungry. He has nothing to lose and everything to gain. You know, so yeah, he's sure. going to put it all on the line. I'm pretty sure he's willing to do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you mentioned, 11-0 and 0 as a professional, 9 KOs, a good amateur and Olympic silver medalist. He beat the likes of Michael Conlon and, and a bunch of others in the amateurs. Um, he's five foot eight as well, which is quite tall in comparison with yourself. Um, you say he's what, man? I think he's 5'8". Oh uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. Okay, you, you could be right there. Yeah, um, but no, you know, are you know, he's, he's your mandatory challenger. He's he's not a big name. He strikes me as the kind of guy we'd brand as a high risk, low reward type of guy. Yeah, I know that you'd never shy away from a fight, but at the same time, these are probably the worst kind of fights from a champion's point of view um, to take, I'm guessing, from the outside looking in, these high-risk, low-reward. Yeah, I mean, I I agree to a certain extent, you know, but I feel like when you are a champion, there's certain obligations that you have to tend to. And I feel like these are one of those obligations. I'm a true champion. You know, I'll answer to the call if anyone that really wants to step in the ring. I just wish that some of these other champions would have that same type of attitude and be willing to do the same. You know, because a lot of these guys that's champions, they have something to lose. They aren't willing to put it on the line. They're picking and choosing who they're going to compete against. They're not trying to fight the best. They're trying to fight whoever they can just to keep a decent record. You know, I'm one of these champions that's willing to put my skill set on the line with whoever is in, the, in front of me. And I'd say, Gary, that in recent kind of months, I'd say you've really kind of come out of your shell personality-wise. Um, would you agree with that at all? Of course, I definitely agree. Because I remember when, 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 we, when we last spoke, I remember we had a little conversation after the interview, and I was basically just stressing to you about how important social media is. I know you're not really, you know, you're not really bang into the uh, into the social media kind of thing. You, you just like to do your work in the gym rather than online, but... Um, you know, we've seen right. a lot of your personality come out, and obviously, in recent months, you've, you know, you've tried your best in 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 a couple of interviews and videos to kind of, you know, goad people into wanting to fight you. Obviously, I, I must mention the 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 video that went kind of semi-viral with Leo Santa Cruz's father. Um, I know the real you, Gary. I know that you're a good guy, but I feel like that video seemed to rub a lot of people up the wrong way because obviously. You know, Leo's dad has been very ill in recent years. Looking back, do you think you might have gone about it in a slightly insensitive manner now? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I think you have a I think you have a lot of people that's ignorant, you know, and the first thing they would think is something is something ignorant. First of all, Leo Santa Cruz's dad first of all, we're fighters. We're fighters. Certain type of attitude that you're supposed to have. It wasn't a thing of me picking on Leo Santa Cruz's dad. It wasn't a thing as if I was going to afflict any harm or hurt to Leo Santa Cruz's dad. You know, that was my way of just saying to Leo, why is it that I can get within three feet of your father and I can literally put my arm around, but I can't get within 10 feet of you? You've been a champion. I've been a champion within the same weight division. for the last, I've been a champion for the last five years. Why is that we can't get this? Why is it I can't get equally as close to you, but I can get this close to your father? You know, that was my way of picking on Leo Santa Cruz. It wasn't a way of me picking on his dad. So, no, nah, I don't think I did anything insensitive. Um, I know Leo. Leo knows me for a while. We all grew up through the amateurs. Leo knows the individual that I am as a person. Um, his, 
and as well as a lot of the guys that's in the sport of boxing that's competing right now, a lot of the fighters understand the division of which that I am. You know, uh, I just wanted to put it out there. Like, I'm going to show the fans. I'm going to let everyone know that these people aren't really willing to fight. You know, they're acting like they're afraid. They're acting like they're scared. You know, I'm not understanding the reason why. I'm willing to put everything I got on the line. Why is it that they aren't willing to do the same? Yeah, because I did, you know, obviously we know in in, in boxing the fans want to see the best fight the best. We don't always get it. The fighters also, some fighters, definitely you're one of them, you want to see the, the best fighters fight the best, but some fighters aren't, you know, aren't up for that. So people do get frustrated with Leo Santa Cruz's run, you know, the, the fact that he's gone through the weights and picked up belts against guys that some people don't really rate. So, you know, he is under the criticism quite a bit, but I did just want to kind of, you know, give you an opportunity to talk on that because I know it's it's a subject where you know you didn't really, you probably haven't even seen what a lot of people have said in you know their feedback about that video. So I did want to touch on it, but yeah, on but I think that it, I think it's very very funny that you have everyone else that has something to say other than the person that it was done to and the person that it was targeted at. So you know, I think it's funny you that you have these other people that it could awaken a certain level of emotions or a fighting spirit, a fighting spirit in these people that's not even fighters. Why is it that the fighter that isn't, isn't possessing that or showing that same type of emotion? That's all I wanted to do. You know how people love to take everything out of context, my man. But leaving that, oh, yeah. leaving that, leaving that thing in the past, you've made it clear numerous times that you've wanted to fight Javante Davis. Most recently, though, you've mentioned about fighting Tevin Farmer. I think perhaps after he had maybe called you out, I want to ask Gary, who do you want to fight in your next couple of fights? Obviously, not looking too far in the future, but you've mentioned about moving up in weight now for quite a while. What is the actual plan, and who would you like to fight in the near future? To be honest with you, um. God willing, like I said, we never overlook anyone. God willing, we get through this guy um, when we're injury-free. I would love, I'm, I I only wanted to stay at 126 just to compete with Leo Santa Cruz. I won the unification match. I thought that would have been a great fight for both of us. Um, apparently him or his management team, his coach team, or whoever don't feel like it's a good idea of him to do that. So... You know, to be honest with you, I want to move straight to 135. I want to move straight to 35. I didn't want to stop at 130. There was no one at 130 that I wanted to actually compete against until Kevin Farmer mentioned my name and said, once if he beats Jojo Diaz, he'll welcome me up to 130 to take the fight. He's not even a guy that I had even possibly thought about competing against. You know, uh, that never even crossed my mind. I honestly want to move straight up to 135 and would love to compete against Devontae Tank Davis. I would definitely want to rematch with Vasily Lomachenko. And I feel like the only way for me to get these fights is to put myself in the weight division in which that they're in. You know, these, these guys aren't acting like real fighters. You know, if a guy, I, I'm 100, right now, I'm, I fight at 126 pounds. If someone walks in my gym or someone puts out a video and says he wants to fight me, I don't care if he's 150 to 200 pounds. It's it's the man, the man in me too. I have too much integrity. I have too much, you know, uh, ego and testosterone build up to turn that down. You know, just morally, I will I will step up to the plate because someone wants to challenge me. I will answer the challenge, and a lot of these guys, I wouldn't do it. I will. Um, I wouldn't mind meeting any of these guys at catch weights, if need be. 
it doesn't matter. So at this point, I'm willing to move up and wait. And hopefully me moving up and wait, you will have some of these bigger guys, even if it's not a Javante St. Davis or even if it's not a um, uh, City Lomachenko right off that. Um, hopefully the fact that I'm moving up and wait, you'll have a lot of guys that will look at me as a smaller fighter moving up and wait, and they'll be more willing to take a risk because they feel like they have an advantage at that point. You know, and I'm going to make them look stupid. I want to get your take on actually Shakur Stevenson becoming a champion now at, at your weight. I know that your you know your immediate goals are kind of to get this fight out of the way and then to look at moving up. But what's your thoughts on him becoming a champion as quick as he did? Obviously, a young guy, um, a good fighter, doing everything right at the minute. What's your thoughts on him as a champion or even a possible fight? I mean, I think Shakur is a good fighter. You know, I think he's a good fighter. He's a young fighter. He's hungry. Um, Times has changed. You know, you got a lot of these guys, at one point, they will wait till they got maybe uh, a certain amount of experience up under their belt as a professional before they try to compete for a title. Now times have changed. You got people trying to compete for a title in 12, 13, 14 fights, you know, stuff like that. I take my head off to him. I think he's a, he's a terrific talent. We, he's, he, I actually like him as a person, as an individual. He came down. Um, we actually worked before. We actually worked with each other before. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a good understanding of who I am as an individual and the skill set and which that I bring into the ring. Um, but he was never anyone that was on my on my list anyway, you know. It's not like I'm looking past people, but I got a game plan that was never nobody that I was planning on competing against. After this guy, if I don't get a Leo Santa Cruz next, I immediately plan on moving up and wait. Okay, and I want to get your take on on that Joseph Diaz versus Tevin Farmer fight that takes place this week. Obviously, you know both guys pretty well. Who do you see emerging the victor there? Uh, as we got Jojo Diaz, um, Tevin Farmer. You know, uh, I take my hat off to him because he did. You know, he he had the opportunity to become a world champion. He got the title at this point, but you know he got stopped before. He had four losses. You know, people tend to forget about that. I'm not saying that that should uh, put a person in a certain category, but he goes to the show. You know, his level of the skill set at some point, you know, he has four losses, he has stopped before. Um, I think he's a good boxer. I think he definitely can box. He's more technically sound than a lot of these other guys. But he don't got no pop. He don't got enough bite. He don't got enough bite to keep a real dog off of. He, I don't think he has the punching ability. To, to be able to keep JoJo away from him. I think JoJo's going to walk him down. He's going to keep his hands tight. JoJo's hungry. He's been in the ring with one of the best fighters in the world with the longest reigning champion, current up-to-date, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. He fought his heart out. He gave it everything he had. Um, I, what he had wasn't enough when he competed against me, but I definitely thought it ought to be enough competing against uh, Kevin Farmer. I don't think Kevin... I think Kevin Farmer... He can definitely box, but I don't think he has anything to really keep anyone off of him. JoJo can put his hands up and walk forward and start dumping and start touching. JoJo's strong. He's hungry. And JoJo can punch as well, you know. Um, I think he definitely learned a couple things from when we competed. And he's taking that with him into this fight. 
a real interesting fight that I cannot wait to see. Um, but just finally, my final real question for you, Gary. Whenever we speak, I always like to ask how your brothers are doing. Gary Antonio Russell now 16-0 and with 12 KOs. Gary Antoine Russell, uh, when we first ever did an interview, he had a 100% knockout percentage at that time. He still got it. 12-0, and 12 KOs, all within four rounds. Um, how are they doing and where are they both in, in terms of their stage in their career at the minute? Uh, they're both doing well, man. They're both doing well. I feel like they're developing uh, beautifully. Um, I just can't wait for them to really make this next step, this next step to this next phase in the sport of boxing. By the time they get to the point that I am in my career, I expect for both of them to be much further than I am right now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they have a ton of talent, a ton of ability. They're hungry. They're focused. They're driven. They're strong, they can box, they can fight, they can punch. You know, they, I feel like they both have the ability to have the total package. I just want them to maintain a level of, of humbleness um, and just continue to stay open-minded, continue to be able to take in constructive, uh, uh, constructive criticism because ultimately it's going to help mold them into who, that, who I feel as though they can be as men as well as fighters. Excellent. And just finally, Gary, if you've got any closing words to our listeners, obviously you don't always do, um, or I should say don't often do interviews with with, uh, UK media. So if you've got any message, especially for your UK supporters over here, um, the floor is yours, my friend. Tell Lomachenko I'm coming. (laughs) That's it, that's all. I don't got too much to say. Tell him I'm coming. Give me my rematch. Okay, for sure. Listen, Gary, it is always great catching up with you, my man. Thank you so much for your time. Best of luck for February the 8th, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after the fight. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it, man. To my true supporters and fans, thank you for all the love and support, man. Stay tuned for our work. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Um, a couple things to mention. Firstly, a bit of a shock. I mean, we, we're used to crazy shocks in boxing, but you're never really ready for the next one. But this one was quite weird. Jose Ramirez against Victor Posto. It was supposed to be for Jose Ramirez's WBC um, super lightweight world title. It was supposed to take place in China. Um, I can't remember the date now. I think it was February 5th. First, if I'm not mistaken. Well, anyway, that one's been postponed because the outbreak of the coronavirus in that particular part of China. So fights off wow. because uh, they don't want to risk the fighters, perhaps, or, or the teams picking up this uh, this crazy virus. So, so uh, another another weird weird turn there for boxing, an unexpected turn. Um, in other news, Brad Foster and Lucian Reed, their rematch has been has been confirmed. Now the first fight was a real close fight. Both men, I think. Felt like they'd done enough. Um, they're going to get it on um, on February 22nd at the York Hall in London. That's a Frank Warren show. I think also on the bill we're going to get to see Cody Davies against Umar Sadiq. That's going to be a brilliant fight. And um, a, a bunch of other names. I've heard that Tommy Fury might be on the bill, but T- Tyson Fury's fighting on that date. In, uh, in Vegas, so I'm not quite sure if that's definitely going to happen. Um, and in other news, Shakan Pitters versus Craig Richards, it's finally on. That one's going to be for the British title. It takes place at the Coventry Sky Dome. It's going to be live and free on Channel 5, Saturday the 28th of March 2020. Um, 
We'll perhaps get Craig Richards on the show um, perhaps a little bit later. Maybe he'll be our second guest. I'll have to reach out to him and see. But that is it, though, for the news. Moving on now to the preview part of the show. This one takes place later today at the Meridian in the uh, in the Island Gardens, I think the actual venue's called. It's in Miami, it's in Florida, it's in the United States. Let's let's just start with the very top of the bill, in my opinion anyway. It's not these YouTubers. Let's start with the IBF World Super Featherweight title um, fight between the champion Tevin Farmer, 30-4 with a draw, friend of the show, 12 rounds against the... I want to say definitely top contender, Joseph Jojo Diaz, 30-1. Joseph Jojo Diaz, it's his third crack at a world title. He's looking to make the the, the saying true um, third time lucky. It is his third chance. He said before to myself on this show, it's sink or swim time for him. Uh, we spoke to Gary Russell Jr. earlier on in the show. He believes Joseph Diaz, his former opponent, by the way, will win the fight. Um, I'm going to come to you first, Eddie. It's an intriguing, intriguing battle. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I would say, <clears throat> listening to Gary Russell, when you would think a guy like that, you know, has a great wealth of knowledge, on knowledge, obviously, and, you know, being the world champion himself at that championship level, as good as he is as a fighter, and, you know, his his eyes, you know, as far as, and also, like I said, he's been working with Jojo Diaz, so he should, you know, he should think at least, or at least hope that he would have that, uh, that kind of an outing, but I don't know. Tevin Farmer's really, really, really good. Really slick, really smooth. But a lot of his movements, certain things that these guys do, <clears throat> like Tevin does, is you're not you're not really going to be teaching. You know what I mean? He just has that, you know that that uh, that next that extra gear. Not really a big power punch or anything, but just super slick. You know, effortless movement. You know what I mean? Really wastes a lot. It doesn't really waste a lot of energy. But he's he's, he's and he's getting better all the time. So. Let's just let's just see what happens. It's an exciting fight for me. I know him obviously, and and I would love to see him win and keep this uh, keep this going. Very, very, very interesting fight. I really cannot wait for that. That is the true main event in my eyes. Um, it's an intriguing one, like we say. I mean, Tevin Farmer. <clears throat> You know, a true inspiration, obviously had a very, very, very rocky start, to say the least. And I mean that in every sense of the word, rocky as well. You know, being from Philly, starting off, you know, not the best fighter and then turning into this this superb boxer, you know. Yes, of course, he, he doesn't have that pop. But um, you know, he is he can hit he can hit, you know, he stopped a few people, you know. So Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not I don't think he's, yeah. he's he's as light of a puncher as as people make out he is. Um Joseph No, no, I think I, I think No, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't I don't think so much as he's a light puncher. It's kinda like a situation like me, you know, you're fighting out obviously a little different. But but you know, I'm fighting guys that are, you know, giant guys. You know, they're you, you when you hit those guys even on the chin sometimes they look at you funny. You know what I mean, and, and and come back with more. So, you know, with him, it's not that he can't hurt these guys or can't get respect. It's just that he's not one punch knocking you out. You know what I mean? It's going to take an accumulation, and it's going to take him styling, you know, styling a little bit, making you feel a little, you know, down on the situation. Maybe like you don't have any future in the fight. You know, like maybe a guy needs to quit on the stool, kind of type of thing. You're not, and not necessarily. He may not hurt you, but he may hurt your your uh, your ego. You know what I mean? Your confidence as the fight goes on. And that's another way of stopping people, too. So, I mean, as the, he has the ability to do both. 
He can knock you out, I'm pretty sure, not with one shot, but he can definitely hurt you. But it also has the ability to make you want to sit on that stool and look at the look at your corner and just say, man, no mas, you know. <laughs> That's also a possibility. But um, go ahead, Joe, I didn't want to stop you, I'm sorry. No, I mean, it's not. It's, I wasn't digging it yourself, but a lot of people say that Farmer, you know, he's just his power's no. non-existent when that's just simply not the case. I definitely think Diaz right. is the puncher of the two. A lot of people talk about, you know, he's he's got kind of an underrated power, but he really can punch. Um, it's going to be interesting to mm-hmm. see him though at this at this weight. Obviously, Diaz not long has moved up to this weight, so it's going to be interesting to see how he fares against a world class operator like Farmer. Um, moving, mm. yeah, and and also just before I say moving down to the uh, to, to the other fights. <clears throat> Tevin, uh, sorry, Gary Russell Jr. siding with Joseph Jojo Diaz to get the job done doesn't really surprise me. Um, Gary Russell mm-hmm. pretty much said himself in the interview that you know he gave me everything he could handle in in our fight where I inflicted the sole loss on Diaz's record. He gave me everything he could handle and I could handle it. If he gives everything he can handle to Tevin, I don't think he could handle it. And of course. I think he said in oh, other right. interviews that um, if Tevin were to win, then he actually wants to move up and fight Tevin. So interesting fights to see down the line. But leaving all of that there, moving down the card, Demetrius Andre, 28-0. He puts his WBO world middleweight title on the line. Friend of the show, Demetrius Andre, 12 rounds against Luke Keeler, 17-2 and with a draw. Those two losses, he was only beaten, though, by one man. The same guy beat him in, in both of those losses. Luke Keeler, a guy that, obviously, you're not going to be familiar with, Eddie, but I'm just going to quickly run through what he's about, basically. Um, you know, again, okay. not not much like Tevin Farmer in, in a sense that he, that he started off bad, but, you know, he didn't turn pro the most dedicated guy, and that is the thing that, that you know, relates to Tevin Farmer's start. You know, he wasn't the most dedicated guy when he turned over in the beginning, and um, Luke Keeler's the same, you know, he didn't really take it seriously, picked up a couple losses to the same guy. That guy ended up retiring from boxing for some reason, even though he'd only lost once himself, I think, which was to Eubank Jr., I think. The guy's name was Tom Doran, anyway, that's old news. But yeah, he moved on from that, he started taking it very seriously, he started training properly, he stopped cutting corners, and then he started winning and winning and winning, and I've said it time and time again, and no one's ever pulled me up on it, so perhaps I was the first one to spot this. I thought maybe some people might think I was completely crazy, but his style reminds me of Joe Calzaghi's. So hopefully we get to see that. Oh wow! But um, obviously he's not. You know, he's not. He's not completely the full the full package like Joe was. But he's coming off some great wins. I mean, he got two wins domestically over Comrade Cummins, and um, his last fight he actually was able to beat Luis Arias. Um, very clear. He had Arias down in the first round. He had him down in the ninth round as mm. well. That was a big, in my eyes, a big upset win because Arias, you know, his only loss came to, to Daniel Jacobs and he arguably uh, beat him in better fashion, actually, Luke Keeler. That was a brilliant performance. So that win there mm. has earned him the shot at Demetrius Andre, but I still think Andre is just a few levels above, so it should be quite easy for him. Also on the bill, Daniel mm. Roman, a guy that I've really, really grown to like. I really like Daniel Roman. 27-2 and two with a draw. He's the unified WBA and IBF World Super Bantamweight champion. He takes on the undefeated 7-0 Murajon Akhmadaliev. Um, 
not a guy that I know tons and tons about, but an Uzbek fighter, very, very, very good amateur. I think he's actually the favourite in the bookies as well, so that goes to show how much of a good amateur he was. And to be fighting for a world title in just his eighth fight, you've got to, you know, you've got to. Um, Take your hat off to him for taking a risk so early on in his career. But Daniel Roman, a very good fighter, a throwback type of fighter, um, a guy that can set a, a pace that is very, very hard to match. And of course, you've got a, you've got a, you've got to think it could get quite interesting in the later rounds if Roman is still in there. Can he, um, you know, can mm-hmm. he take Akhmadaliev to a part in the fight that he hasn't been to and set that high tempo that he's not used to sticking with? If he can stick with it. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting that fight. I hope Roman comes through it because, like I say, very good guy. Very, very tiny entourage. No hype men required. He's that kind of guy. He, he, you know, he's just got his own belief, his own dedication, his own his own strength. You know, and he's 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 a quiet kind of. I'd I'd even say borderline shy type of guy. But what a fighter he is. He's really grown on me. Of course, I had him on the show a few months back now, and we just got on really well. And he's a Good, good guy. Um, also on the bill, Anthony Sims Jr., 20-0. This one's for the WBO Latino Super Middleweight title. He takes on Roma Angulo, 25-1. Amanda Serrano's on the bill as well, 37-1 with a draw. She's in an eight two-minute round contest against Simone Silva, who's 17-14. Big mismatch there, considering Serrano's like a six- or seven-weight world champion or something crazy like that. Um... But yeah, it's a good it's a good card in the end. We're not even going to mention the YouTubers on it. Um, moving out now to the Kin Sasha in the uh, in the Democratic Republic of of Congo. Ilunga Makabu, of course, former opponent of Tony Bellew. He boxed Bellew there for the WBC World Title. I think it was vacant at the time. I don't think he was a champion. But anyway, he gets another crack here at the vacant WBC World Cruiserweight Title. Makabu, twenty six and two. He takes on Michael Seslak, who's nineteen and oh, that one could be very interesting there in Congo. And uh, moving out now to the Ulster Hall in Belfast, Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, US, USA, UK. <laughs> um, yeah, this this card here, um, couple decent fights. I like the fight between Gary Cully nine and zero and Joe Fitzpatrick ten and zero. That one's for the vacant BUI Ireland National Light uh, Lightweight title. But the main event is is really the the, the key fight. David Oliver Joyce, eleven and one. Of course, he took on Lee Wood recently in that Golden Contract tournament at York Hall, and he he got beaten quite quite badly, quite convincingly by Lee Wood. Very very surprised I was with that because um, that that actual tournament that we had there, the Golden Contract thing, David Oliver Joyce was was one of the favourites or. Perhaps even the favourite. Very good amateur. But yeah, he lost to Lee Wood. And now he fights here against former world champion Lee Haskins. Friend of the show. 36-4 Lee Haskins now. 10 rounds there for the WBO European Super Bantamweight title. That one's going to be on ESPN+. And I think it's on YouTube actually for free over here. So definitely tune into that one. Um... Moving out now to the Beau Rivage Resort and Casino in Mississippi. This one's going to be on Fox Sports 1. Over here we have... 
Um, Yordanis Ugas, 24-4. and four. He takes on Mike Dallas Jr., 23-3 and three with two draws. That one's over 12 rounds there. And I think this is the final bill. Yes, it is. It's taking place at the Inn of the Mountain Gods Resort and Casino in New Mexico, USA. Austin Trout, friend of the show. I think he was... I think he was our first ever world champion on the Boxer podcast back in 2015. Anyway, 31 and 5 with a draw. He's in a 10 rounder against Rosbel Montoya, 17 and 9 with a draw. Um, it is obviously a little bit of a mismatch on paper, but Austin Trout deserves uh, an easy fight. You know, time and time again, he's boxed these tough, tough fighters. Tons and tons of heart, Austin mm. Trout, coming to the very end of his career. So I'll give him a pass on that one. Um, that's it, Eddie. Really, we've flown through everything there. Um, yeah, mm. any 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 closing words before I let you go? Again, three weeks in a row now. You are the best friend I could ever ask for. <laughs> Thanks for I filling in for Ayaz, who has gone missing. I think he's in Pakistan or something like that. But yeah, thanks for for joining yeah. me once again on this show, Eddie. Oh man, it's no problem, man. No problem at all. You know, like I said, I enjoy it. You know, you got to help friends. But um, I did want to say one thing, and this is like, I mean, I don't know if, you know, this is a boxing podcast without a doubt, and we're not going to, we don't want to stray too far away from, you know, what we, what we follow, what we pay attention to, but this, it was a crazy situation that happened this past weekend. Yeah. One of the greatest uh, athletes that I've ever seen, him, not even seen in person, but on television or period, um, basketball player, I know in the UK, basketball is not, not one of the main sports, so not a lot of people follow it or pay attention. But this name is huge. And for him to be gone is amazing. And I'm, you know, I'm speaking of, obviously, Kobe Bryant, who died recently at 41 in a plane crash with his daughter and, other, and what I think, eight or nine other passengers who, who died. But there were a few kids and, uh, you know, their parents and... It was just, it was a horrible situation. And for somebody to be as big of a name as, you know, an athlete like that to, it just shows that, you know, it could happen at any time. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter who you are or, you know, what situation you live in. At any point, your life could be over. So, you know, there's a lesson in this is definitely get all your things in order. Whoever you're having problems with, you know, be it big, small, medium, whatever, you know, just just end it and and try to um, understand that the next day is not promised. This <laughs> is a scary time to see somebody like that who's touched so many people in so many different ways, beyond not only on the court but beyond beyond the court. Just you know, an iconic figure, you know, side outside inside of you know outside of basketball as well. So it's just like man, so much inspirational things that he did for you know for a lot of people through basketball, also through. You know, just him, you know, being an incredible person. So it's a sad situation to see. You know, my heart goes out to his family and and everyone who who follows, you know, a guy like that. It's just it's it's, it's rough. And I'm I'm tell you, I've been messed up with this for like because I'm a huge basketball fan, obviously, Joe. You know this, but um, um, man, I've been messed up for this for since I heard about it, and that's still really hard to believe. It doesn't just doesn't even sound right coming out of my mouth it's really weird but um yeah i just had to to say that 
You absolutely live every day to the fullest. You never know when it'll be your last. Uh, you never get a warning. Well, you do in some cases, but most of the time you don't. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it was quite shocking. I mean, obviously, I rang you when I seen it, and, you know, I don't really... Yeah. I mean, I don't follow basketball. You you know how much I actually hate basketball, Eddie. You're always trying to convince me to, to, to watch it. But <laughs> even when I saw it, I mean, my yeah. heart sank, because I thought, wow, I know he's such a big name, yeah. and... And, you know, even I can't really quite believe it. And, you know, he wasn't someone of significant value at all in my life. But it's a shock to my system as well, you know. It it is, I mean, he's, 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 he was one of the most famous people in the world. I mean, you go on his Twitter, he he had like something like 15 million followers. So he's one of the most followed people in the world. So it's, it's an icon. It's a sporting icon, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, you know, most, you know. There's so many things that, you know, people look at. And, you know, I mean, even if he was Kobe the bus driver, he sh- it still would be a big thing, like a situation like that where now he's gone from his family. But the fact that he's touched so many people outside of, you know, his normal realm, you know, I mean, through so many different ways. Just being, like I said, being an inspirational athlete, like, you know, coming from where he came from, which was not necessarily a bad situation. He came from a good situation, but... um to his just his attitude and how he, you know, how he ran his business, but also how he how he played the sport, how he worked harder than everyone else to get to the level that he you know that he actually got to, is like it's a huge inspiration. So so many people use some of the some of the things that he's done, you know what I mean, in their lives. Be it if it was on the basketball court or if you, if you were a, an accountant, you know what I mean. It's just having that what they call a mama mentality, and you know people people look at it, it's just you know it's hard to believe like i'm still i still like i said i still it still just doesn't seem realistic it's really weird to even to even think that damn this guy is gone and you're never going to see him again and on top of that his daughter only 13 year old and the other girls on the the, the other kids that were on that flight on that that that, that helicopter that they're just they're 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 not even going to get the experience some of the things that, you know, like we all have, you know what I mean? Even that he had, and it just sucks. Like I was just seeing something on the screen and it said his daughter was actually going to try to go to UConn, which is a college over here in Connecticut and, you know, play for their basketball team and she'll never even get the opportunity to do it. It's just sad. Man. It's terrible. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. Um, but yeah, you know, getting yeah. back on to, to the boxing, that is everything for yeah. The, the part two there. The final thing to do just before we wrap up everything is to welcome our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former British title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. Craig Richards. Craig, welcome back on the show, my man. How are you? You all right? I'm good, my man. I'm good. Hopefully that's the last time I have to call you a, a, a former British title challenger. It'd be great to just say British champion. I'm sure that is the aim. Which it will be, be. British champion. It will be. So, Craig, we last spoke back in June. It was just before the the Andre Sterling fight. I thought that we'd spoken after that fight, but I realised it wasn't on the podcast. It was in Nando's over some chicken. But let's skip that one. Let's skip that one. Let's let's go on to the the most recent fight. I do want to get a word on on that very questionable draw against Chad Sugden. If you can give me a couple words, very questionable. Yeah. Yeah, questionable is the key word. You know, the only person who who scored that draw, which he didn't even score because he didn't have a scorecard, was the referee. Everyone else around ringside had me up, but that's the end of there. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, it, it, it was a close-ish fight. I did think you'd just nicked it, and obviously with it being on your promoter's show, you'd kind of expect it to go your way. Not that that's necessarily fair all the time, by the way, but... Um, yeah, you definitely. I definitely thought you'd, you'd done just enough. Well, I was really not the only one. My opponent himself came up to me afterwards and he said to me, I thought that you uh, won that, to be honest. He said, uh, I'm surprised about the decision. And he said, especially on your own show as well, to be honest. Um, and his dad as well. And I said, oh, do you know what? It's, it's what it is, isn't it? There's no point crying at all. No, we'll just move on, isn't it? And obviously, I do want to just make that that one thing clear that a lot of people didn't understand. When when Chad Sugden in the post-fight interview said that he'd only had a few days' notice or a week notice, whatever it was, that, <laughs> he, he was clever the way he worded that because he was penciled in for a fight yeah. on the Saturday. Obviously, the fight with you took place on the Thursday, but you was the one who only had about a week's notice, not him. He was already penciled yeah, exactly. in to fight that week. He was penciled for the 21st. He had an eight-week camp for the 21st, and then he set himself up for a big fight. They was actually calling and calling for me anyway. But then they, all they've done is change their date by two days. So it was hardly a week at an eight-week camp. But as you said, I was the one who got called back in for the fire. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, like I say, some good wordplay there from Sugden. Clever stuff. But uh, moving on, moving on, leaving that in 2019. Your next fight has been announced. It'll be for the vacant British title against Shakam Pitters on March 28th. Firstly, though, I remember I remember you beating Alan Higgins back in March 2017, so three years ago. <laughs> and obviously... Yeah. You, you know, you won the Southern area that, that night. You instantly vacated it with the hopes of picking up a bigger belt in the very near future at the time. Obviously, the Buglioni fight came real quick and stuff like that. You picked up a WBA strap. But it's been a long time coming, mm-hmm. hasn't it, really, to get your hands yeah, on a uh, British title? I was going to start doing the countdown for how long I've been mandatory. <laughs> it's been, what, seven months or something? I've been mandatory now, yeah. waiting for a shot. So, yeah, it's been a long time coming, to be fair. Yeah, it's finally here. And um, I want to ask you, Craig, the Craig Richards that we saw against Sugden, if that Craig Richards turned mm-hmm. up against Shakam Pitters, how does the fight go? I'd still probably beat him. To be honest, he ain't got a chin like Shugden. Shugden's had 200 kickboxing fights and never been stopped. He's world champion, the youngest world champion kickboxer we've ever had in this country. So, although I didn't turn up, even I turned out probably not even 50% of myself. I know if I caught that guy with them shots, he'd have went. Because Chad Chuckman's nose being broken, his nose being closed. Um, these guys wouldn't have been able to take them shots, but that's here and all there. Like, we, that's all just a guessing game. At the end of the day, that's not how I'll be turning up the hill. And I will be raising my game for the big fight. And what do you know about Shakan Pitters as a fighter? Obviously, he did well in that. I think it was that ultimate boxer tournament. Uh, we seen him fight um, a brilliant fight with who's the guy's name? It was at York Hall. Oh gosh, um, Dex Spellman. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant fight. So obviously, I'm sure you've seen all of them. What do you think of him as a fighter? Yeah, I watched him. He done some stuff well. He got hurt a few times. Um, survived through. I'm on one point. It was a good fight. And Craig, obviously, Hennessy Sports were the were the, were the promoters that you know won the purse bids. Was that quite surprising? Did you? Ex- I mean, it seemed ex- a little bit surprising from the outside looking in that Eddie Hearn didn't didn't win the bid or anything like that. No, because look, Eddie Eddie already made a deal with them, didn't he, to fight on his show? 
And they invited those me, then they went back on their word, and then he was basically arranged a fight because then Shakam was about to work on some rubbish, they said. So they then arranged for us to box on March 28th for the Ocho Arena, and they kind of went behind his back and kind of spoke to Channel 5 and whatnot, and that's how it came about. But as far as he was concerned, that like, he was going to fight when he showed on March 28th, and they. Okay. All right. And. Um... I want to get I want to get your take actually on on a good fight that's coming up a good fight here. Um, Andre Sterling, former opponent of yourself, against Dan Aziz. I think they're both Lewisham boys, isn't they? That'd be a good one. Yeah, he's done another battle of the blues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, really good fight. Um, it's really a massive fight for both of them in this stage of their career because the loser is really left in the lurch, really. Um, and the winner can push on because if Sterling loses, um, that's three back-to-back losses on the trot. Um, and if, if Dan Aziz loses, the fact Sterling's coming off two losses is not going to look good in his career either. So it's a must-win fight, really. But um, yeah, it'll be a good fight. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Andre Sterling's fighting later tonight, like in a, you know, in a keep busy against the journeyman. I think he's fighting Daryl Sharp. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think he's fighting Daryl Sharp. Who's... Oh, just so he can get the nod for the title. So he can, uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, but, um, what is he fighting with that? He's fighting, who's he fighting tonight? He's fighting... Um... Where is he fighting for that? Say that again, Craig. Where's he fighting for that? He's fighting tonight at the Millennium Gloucester Hotel in Kensington. Um, it's a Mickey Helliot show. He's boxing Daryl Sharp, who's 5 and 70 with a draw. <laughs> he should come through that, uh, you'd, you'd I guess. So. <laughs> what, did you, what did you make of, of, his, um, of his loss, by the way, to Liam Conroy? I thought, you know, I thought Liam Conroy would win the fight, actually, beforehand. But, you know, he put on quite a show. I thought Conroy looked really good, actually. I knew Liam would beat Sterling, um, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, I knew he'd beat him. Um, and it was, yeah, like Sterling done what he tried to do, what he tried to do, spoil. But um, Liam Conroy's obviously watched his fight with myself and prepared for that and didn't allow him to come and spoil or make it as messy as he... He did try to make it messy, but I think he was prepared for it. Yeah. And just finally then, Craig, we've kind of whizzed for it quite quickly there. Um, what is your prediction, if you have one, for this fight against Shakam Pitters? Obviously, it's going to be in front of a massive audience, Channel 5. Everyone's going to be tuning in if if they're not there. Um, it's, you know, it's another chance for you to make a big, big statement and pick up a British title. You think a lot of people will be there. <laughs> Where is it again? Commentary. I think it'll be, be packed out. I know it's a big fight everybody's been interested in for a long time, but I know there's another big show that day as well, in the O2, mm. a match from the show, so I don't know. He might have all his fans there, though. It's not far from him, is it, Coventry? Of course, I have a lot of my fans there. We all have our fans there. But what do you think of the general boxing public and in media and stuff? Well, I don't know. I can't, sp- I don't know. I can't speak for them, but... Everyone's going to be watching it. You're though, a media. Man. Where would you like to be? What's the other fight on the same night? I've, I've forgot. Mm, I know there'll be... Uh, Eddie's meant to have a big show, isn't he? Yeah, but it's not been announced yet, has it? 
No, but I think it had like Connor. Uh, I think Yusik maybe against Chisora uh, or something. Okay. Well, where would I rather be? I don't, well, are you trying to give me a lift? Because if you're trying to give me a lift, I'll be in. I'll be in Coventry with you. <laughs> oh, jump right in then. <laughs> the more the merrier. I need more people to see my victory. <laughs> <laughs> and just just finally Craig like I say what's your prediction for the fight um, you know you mentioned there that Sugden had a right chin on him and Peters doesn't have that chin do you win this one inside the distance well see I ain't gonna go out and look for it but if it comes it comes I think that was the thing I was just relying on just maybe gonna knock it I guess why I kind of neglected it my boxing at times with Sugden and just relied on getting the KO so I won't make that mistake again if it comes it comes I won't go out looking for it. <laughs> okay, listen, Craig, it is always a pleasure catching up. Best of luck for March 28th in Coventry, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after the fight. And hopefully, when we speak, in fact, not hopefully, I know it's going to happen, I'll be speaking to the new light heavyweight British champion. Cheers! Eventually, put my name in the history book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah. God willing, it will happen. I know it will. Okay, and this wraps up episode 224 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's podcast, the reigning WBC featherweight world champion, Gary Russell Jr., and the former British title challenger, perhaps soon-to-be British champion, Craig Richards. There has been one or two pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Big Baby Miller has now signed a promotional deal with top rank and some of the wilder versus fury 2 undercard has been announced um, at this stage we've got the co-main event being charles martin against gerald washington two friends of the show best of luck to the pair of them may the best man win and one of my top fighters of 2019 emmanuel navarrete will be defending his wbo super bantamweight world title against the filipino fighter giu santissima uh, but that is pretty much everything from us this week. Thank you all for listening to this week's podcast once again. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.